Hi, everyone, and thank you, as always, for joining us today for our episode on Lifeline Torah with our speaker and teacher, Rabbi Yaakov Zirkand. Today's episode is on blood. Interesting thing about blood, or in Hebrew, the word is dam. We need it to live. That's obvious, right? But did you know that the ancient word for money is damim, and it's actually the plural of the word dam? I found that very interesting. Even if you break down the actual spelling of Dom, Dalit and Mem, so much wisdom just in those letters. Dalit is known for being a doorway or a pathway, and Mem represents liquid or waters. The Hebrew letters are just simply supernatural, with layer after layer of meaning if we only take a moment to look. As many of you know, Rabbi Zirkin and I have created a nonprofit called Am Kadosh, meaning holy people. It was easy to see that there was a real need for some services and supports that generally are not available to many of us. And as we live our lives, we have many occasions to mark events, whether it's by marriage, a child coming of age, a child being born, or even death. We want to help in this capacity. As we grow our small community, these needs are going to arise and we want to be there. In fact, many of you are aware that we just organized our first memorial service for a dear soul in Sri Lanka. Her memorial spanned continents and countries between Sri Lanka, Dubai, England, Canada, and the United States. And it was such a privilege to step in and help. Just like a body needs a life force or dom, so too does our nonprofit need Damim so that we can be a viable, healthy, and helpful organization. If you're enjoying our weekly podcasts, we'd love for you to consider partnering with us with a monthly gift or a one-time gift. We will know that we can step in at various points in your life and help make it meaningful, help make it rich and elevated. Please log on to our Facebook page to learn more. And now, Rabbi Zirkind. Everybody is here today. Sharon, I know it's a very late night for you. Thank you for joining us. And uh, today we're going to be speaking about blood. And Rabbi Zirkin, I'm going to let you get started. I'll let people in as they come in. Well, why don't, but, why don't we dedicate why don't we dedicate it to the people that need uh, um, healing? Absolutely. Um, I'd like to, yes, dedicate it to the marriage of Alyssa DePriest, who has an upcoming surgery, um, Teresa Colucci, uh, Stacy Kinzer, Aaron Price, Tim Price, Bruce Roberts, and is there anyone else? that we would like to add. I don't know. I think that's it. All right. All right, I think that, I think we're good. And Rabbi Zirkin, I'm gonna I'll let you go ahead and start. Okay, well, welcome back to everybody. To another episode. Today we're going to talk about blood. Why am I talking okay. about blood? Because in yesterday's Torah portion that we were reading, we reiterated the concept of how God views eating of blood as repugnant. And, and as we know that the book of Deuteronomy is a repetition of everything that we've learned in the other four books. So therefore, this is a repetition of what we've already learned in Leviticus, and more specifically, 1711. Okay, now, why is it important that I'm mentioning uh, Leviticus 1711? Well, because I think those of us that have gone through this the, the Torah studies, as well as um, the New Testament, 
they might be recall something very about that first 1711. The New Testament, if you look at the book of Hebrews, I believe, he takes this verse and tells the reader why is that important for him to write that? It was choppy for me, too. Uh-oh. Well, let's try to reconnect with him and see what happens here. All right, we'll just give it a second. Here he comes. Did I did I cut out of it? Hello, is anybody there? Yes, Rabbi. Uh, yes, you're back now, but you did cut out. Uh, we had actually. Hello. Hello. Okay. Can you, can you hear me? Did I cut out? Uh, you did. Yes, you did. You. Okay, Unfortunately, I don't think we heard much of anything, Rabbi Zarkin. The connection was so bad. Okay. Okay, so let me let me start all over, basically. So the, the idea of blood is mentioned in the Torah portion that we read yesterday. And as we know, that the book of Deuteronomy is a repetition of all the books of the Torah. So therefore, it's not a surprise that the Torah reiterates the concept of not eating blood. So, but where's the original source for that? So if you look in Leviticus 17.11, we find the initial verse that tells us about not eating blood. He says because the, the life of the blood the life of the soul is in the blood. Okay, so this is what it says in 1711 in Leviticus. Now, those that are familiar with this understand that why am I mentioning this verse and what's so unique about the blood? So what's unique about blood is that every religion out there demands some sort of blood sacrifice. And in fact, the Catholic religion relies on Jesus' death on the cross for atonement. And it's his blood that gives atonement. Okay, that's, that's critical for the Catholic religion. Now, but in order for that to follow suit from the Old Testament, which it doesn't say that in the Old Testament, but in order for them to have that in the Old Testament, so what they did was they took Leviticus 17.11 and they altered it in the book of Hebrews to say that the only atonement is through blood. If you look in 
King James or the NIV. If you look in Leviticus, that's not what it says there. But in Hebrews, it's changed. And why is that so important? What's important there is, as I said, in order to get that Jesus' death on the cross was for an atonement for everybody for an eternity. Okay? Now, why? So the, so the point about blood is that Hashem tells us something very critical about blood. Blood, yes, it's used in the, in the temple. It's used as part of the sacrifice that a person offers to Hashem. In fact, it says how it's supposed to be sprinkled on the on the altar, etc., etc. But does it say anywhere? Does it say anywhere that without blood one cannot have an atonement? No, it doesn't say that in our scriptures at all. In fact, we know that in Proverbs it tells us that the best form of atonement is charity. That's the best form of atonement. And we see by David, which David, um, we know he had an issue with with Bathsheba. And he had, had Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed. So he had blood on his hands. And he needed an atonement for that. And he realized that he made a grave mistake. And as we look in the book of Samuel, he tells us a story about how Nathan, he meets up with Nathan, the prophet, and he asks him for an atonement. And he says to him, he says, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a scenario. Most of you are probably familiar with the story, but I'm just going to reiterate it for the program. And that is that Nathan tells him, he says, let me ask you, if somebody is a wealthy man and he has many sheep and his neighbor is a poor man, but he, and he only has just one lamb and the wealthy man has, has, wants to make a, a party for his friends and he goes and steals one of the sheep, the, the, the only lamb actually that his neighbor has, he steals that from the neighbor. And he uses that for the meal that he was gonna have for his guests. What should happen to that person? This is what Nathan is asking King David. And David says to him, he says that man should be put to death. And Nathan doesn't bat an eyelash. And he says to David, he says, you are that man. And with that, David prostrated himself and he begged for forgiveness. And as he's there asking for forgiveness, Nathan says to him, you were already forgiven. Now, when was he forgiven? He didn't bring any, he didn't uh, go bow to the cross. He didn't, he didn't have any animals as a sacrifice. He had nothing. Well, all he did was pleaded with his heart for an atonement and Hashem listened to it. And with that, that was sufficient for his atonement. So what do we see from this story, from Proverbs? That one does not need any blood for atonement. And in fact, we read on Yom Kippur Day, in the Haftorah that we read on Yom Kippur Day, where again, where obviously we usually read something that's relevant to the day or the Parsha. So on Yom Kippur is no different. So on Yom Kippur Day, we read about how Isaiah is, is, is asking, he says, look, you're, you're fasting today. But tomorrow you're going to go rob, kill, and maim. Is that what I want? Is that a, a, a form of atonement? That's not an atonement. And again, what does what does what does King David say? 
What is a form of atonement? A broken heart, a constrained heart. That's what God wants. He doesn't want our festivals. He doesn't want our Sabbaths. He doesn't want our our new moons. But rather, he wants a constrained heart. So when when we're told in the New Testament that the only form of atonement we need to have blood for atonement, and by the way, because we are living today in a time in an era where we don't have a temple. And by the, therefore, we don't have any sacrifices. So the only means that we have to get atonement is by believing in Jesus and by following the cross. And only that way we can have an atonement today. But that's not what my Torah tells me. That's not what our prophets tell us. Our prophets tell us Actually, the to be more specific, Hosea. Hosea tells us in chapter three that for many days we'll be without a sacrifice, without the Orem Vitumah, without the altar. So we are told that we're going to have many days like that, and we are living in that period of time. Now. Having, having said that, having, uh, having uh, Hosea tell us that it'll be for many years without, a, without all that. So then Hosea needs to tell me, how do I get an atonement? Because after all, he, he pulled the rug out from under me. He told me I'm not going to have it. So I need to have some form of, of atonement. So actually, he does tell me. At the end of Hosea, the end of the last chapter, he tells us that all you have to do is is replace the bulls with your lips. Very clear message. Replace the bulls with your lips. What does that mean? Well, basically, it means replace the bulls, meaning the sacrifices, with your lips, meaning with your prayer. So instead of bringing sacrifices, talk to God and ask forgiveness from Hashem. And Hashem will certainly listen to our prayer and certainly give us an atonement. Now, obviously, the church doesn't like that verse because that tells me we don't have, we don't, we don't have to leave, believe in Jesus. Well, so actually, they change the book of Hosea to, to mean, to, to translate that verse completely wrong. Number one. Number two, if you if you were to read that verse in the New Testament, in, in the NIV or KJV for that matter, you'll see what the, the words that they're saying, how they translate that verse, the words don't make any sense. I don't remember offhand how they translate it, but if you, if you were to do the homework and look at, at that verse, in, a, in one of the, the versions that I suggested, you will see that the words that they, that they write there don't make any sense. Any sense? And you replace the fruit of your lips. That's what the, that's one of them translates it. And you replace the fruit of your lip, which means nothing. What does it mean? The fruit of your lip. And how do they get to fruit? Well, because the word parim, which means bulls. Well. We also have a word in Hebrew that says, that's peros. Peros means fruit. So the word peros does sound somewhat like parim. Somewhat, not exactly, but somewhat. So the uneducated person that's reading this verse we could, we could kind of squeeze by by saying that it means replace the fruit of your lip. Okay? but And that's how he gets there. The other one has another version. I don't remember it. But the point is that this, these are clearly um, not what my Torah is teaching me. And therefore, the concept of blood, we'll go back to the blood situation, the blood is nothing more than the lifeline of the animal, of the person. 
and therefore the Torah tells us that I may not eat it because that is that represents life and when you drink it you are denying life now how is that different than uh, slaughtering animals and eating animals well interestingly enough part of the process of making the animal suitable to be eaten I must remove all blood from it huh why because blood is repugnant Torah does not allow me to have blood and therefore I must get rid of all blood from all any meat that I'm going to eat with the exception of fish and the reason for that is is because their blood is not the same as blood from a, a bird or an animal whereas, whereas from a blood from an animal and from a from a bird that blood must be removed and how do we remove it so there's actually a process we have to salt it we have to soak it salt the animal until we can get all, all the blood out and there's there's a prescribed method of how we go about doing that and, and and that's the whole story and it must be done within the first three days after it has been slaughtered because after three days the blood kind of hardens within the meat and will not come out and therefore it's the only way if I wanted to eat and that meat that has been slaughtered and has not been salted soaked and salted in a proper time frame the only way I can eat that is by broiling it because by broiling it what happens is the blood gets burnt in, in its place and it will never come out and I but and at the same time I may not take that that let's say let's for argument's sake I take, took a, uh, a chicken and I slaughtered a chicken and it went by three days and I have not salted it so the only way I can get I can eat that is by broiling it okay but after I broil it I may not cook it that's all that's the way it is just broil it and then I eat it case closed whereas if I if I did the proper salting process then I could I can broil it I can bake it, I can roast it, I can toast it, shake it, bake it, whatever I want to do with it, I can do with it. Even I can I can roast it and then cook it after that too. Because once I've, I've gotten rid of all the blood from it, then and, and contaminating the other parts of the other meat. So, so the Torah gives us instructions that we have to appreciate it and we have to treat it with such sanctity. In fact, in fact, it tells us in the Torah in Genesis that the blood of the of the beast of the wild beast and that of the bird, I must cover with dirt it's, it's special it's, you can't just waste it and destroy it but rather you have to cover it with dirt similarly to a, like a person that a person says that a person comes from dust and goes back to dust so to hear the blood the blood that, that comes out of a, of a beast that of a of a bird must be covered because it's special and these are these are prescribed in the Torah as a means of respect it actually it even says that if a bird if a bird dies and we see sometimes you walk in the street and a tree uh, near a tree and there's a bird that you can see fell down from the tree and died, died from it as a result of it. So that bird 
it says about it that you must bury it. You must bury it. You see it? You must bury it. And not only just bury it somewhere across the street or whatever, but in the place that it died, the place that it fell, that's where it must be buried because he acquired that spot. And it just shows you the respect that the Torah gives to life in general and, and particularly to the birds that such secrecy that we have to um, respect the life and not just waste it. I know I'm just uh, I'm going away, though, all those guys that go out hunting, bird hunting or deer hunting and all that, but unfortunately that, that's not what it's meant for. That's a nice sport, but Torah does not does not uh, suggest that we do such a such a uh, such a thing. And, and really, the blood really represents uh, the highest level of sanctity human life as well as the animal life and that's why we have to treat it with such respect and dignity and, and furthermore furthermore um, that a person that does eat blood which you might one might think is okay so he just violated a, a violation that's all but no the Torah tells us he's supposed to get curries which curries means that he gets cut off, he gets he gets killed by Hashem. Hashem kills him. And it's brought down that when a person is prescribed curries as his means of punishment, he does not live beyond the age of 60. And that's why in Jewish life, when a person turns 60, that's a, a major milestone. Because we know that he's exempt from that punishment of curries. And, and this is all, and, and this is how we, we, we uh, appreciate and value blood. And, and Yom Kippur, for example, is another one of those that one could get curries for if they eat on Yom Kippur. If they eat on Yom Kippur, well, they drink on Yom Kippur, then they would get curries as well. So there's not, not everything that's curries, but there are a few um, violations that bring about the, the punishment of curries, which means the word curries literally means cut off. And the, and the whole uh, concept of Yom Kippur even though we, we read about the, the scapegoat, and one might think to ourselves how, how cruel is that scapegoat that he gets just thrown down off the off the off the mountain, and a sharp mountain that is. But yes, that is the way that we can get an atonement. Now again, I'm gonna go back to the New Testament and tells the reader that obviously that this could not have been anything but rather a foreshadow to Jesus because if it really worked, this idea of sacrifice once a year, why would we have to do it every year? So again, that mindset comes from the idea that we get an atonement once and that's it. Person gets, uh, Jesus died once on the cross and with that forever that's an atonement for everybody forever, and that's the whole story. But that's not how Torah works. Torah understands that people can make mistakes, do make mistakes, and Hashem has mercy on all of us, and it gives us the opportunity to repent on a regular basis. And that's why every day we offer prayer. I think we discussed this a little bit, we touched on this last week, but the idea is that we, we do have this concept of, of confession and asking for atonement. Three times a day we ask for atonement. We ask for Hashem to forgive us for all of our sins. In fact, there's a story once about um, somebody asked the previous Babaj Rebbe, it was after Yom Kippur, 
And he asks them, he says, why are we asking for forgiveness right after Yom Kippur? When we were standing all day in the synagogue praying and there was no time to do any anything wrong, to violate anything. And yet, we're, and, and not only that, all day, what were we praying? What were we praying for? Asking Hashem to forgive us for all of our sins. So we were doing just that all day. So why, right after Yom Kippur is over, and the first service right after Yom Kippur is Myrav, the night's the evening service, and in that service we're asking Hashem to forgive us for we have sinned. What and when and where? How did we do this? How did we sin? And where did we sin? And the Rebbe answered. And the answer was very interesting. He said to him, he said that although you're right, that one could possibly not have had time to sin, but a thought, just one thought that was not appropriate, that too needs an atonement for. So when we look at our our relationship with Hashem, it's one that has to be really, really, really clean. It has even a thought of anything wrong needs an atonement. And therefore, even though I might have just stood all day and asked for atonement and do all confessions, but ultimately, every, every moment is crucial. And any moment, I could possibly, I shouldn't, but I could possibly violate what a thought even. And this is why we constantly need to ask for a tolerance. And although we might think to ourselves, well, then why am I wasting my time with asking for a tolerance every, every five minutes or every, every day, three times a day, when I'm going to go back and do this again? tomorrow possibly. So what what is the value in my asking for atonement? Well, so I can answer that with an interesting point. And that is, we'll sit down and eat breakfast. We'll eat to our heart's desire, our stomach's desire. And then sometime later, we'll go to the bathroom get rid of some of the waste on that breakfast that we ate. So you can ask yourself, why are you wasting your time if after uh, after all that I'm going to have to go to the bathroom after that. Furthermore, in another three hours or two hours or four hours, I'm going to sit down and eat lunch and go through the same motions again. Waste my time eating and then have to go and get rid of the waste. And a few hours later, do the same program again. So we see that we do this even in our physical world. And I think that is the definition of insanity, I think. That we try to do the same thing over and over and over again and expect different results. Right? That's insanity. Similarly, over here, one might think to themselves, well, look, why am I wasting my time? And I must be insane if I'm just constantly praying. And I'm constantly have to ask for forgiveness because I might have had a wicked thought or an evil thought. But the answer is no. We will eat because we know our bodies need to have the energy. Yes, granted, there's going to be some waste. And yes, there's going to be some, some negative consequences. Sometimes from eating the food, be a little spicy, a little sharp. A little, a little bland, a little this, a little too much, a little fatty, a little too much cholesterol. There's all kinds of, of issues that we have to do, that we have to consider when we sit down to eat anything. Okay? Especially every doctor will tell you, oh, this is no good for you, that's no good for you, and the third thing is no good for your sugar, and salt, and, and, uh, and uh, fat, and, and carbs, and this, and that. Everybody's got a different story how everything that you're going to sit down to eat is no good. But yet, all of those doctors are eating food. 
even though they're telling you that all these things could be bad for you. I don't know how that adds up, but regardless, that's that's what they do. And the point here is that although we have to, you know, tell a story, and I'm going to get back, but to tell a story about the fellow that goes to the doctor and he goes to the doctor, the doctor checks him out and he prescribes him some medicine and he pays the doctor his co-payment and goes off to the, to the pharmacy to fill the, the drug that was prescribed for him. And he takes the pills and he pours them down the drain. He comes out of the pharmacy and opens up the bottle and pours down the content down the drain. I was a fellow that saw all this, watched him go to the doctor, and then he goes to watch him go to the pharmacist. So he asked him, he said, tell me something. Why did you go through all these motions if ultimately you're taking all these pills and throwing them out? So why did you go to the doctor and pay him for, for his service? And then go take the prescription and pay the, the pharmacist for his services and then just dump it all. And he says, you know, I'll tell you. I went to the doctor and I paid him because he's got to live. That's that's how he lives. And I went, to, so he wrote me a prescription. So I went to the, to the pharmacist and I had him fill the, the prescription. And I paid him because that's how he lives. But then I took the pills and I poured down the drain because he says, that's how I live. In other words, all these things, we have to do them because those are the motions, even though we know that really they're meaningless. So similarly, when we go through life and we and things happen and we have to ask for atonement and forgiveness on a regular basis because things happen and it's possible that we might err. And because of that, we need Hashem's mercy to forgive us. And we count on that on a regular basis. And really, this is the whole idea of atonement. It's not about blood. And it's not about any crazy activity other than a sincere and a a true uh, broken heart. That's how we get atonement. That is all merit that we should do the right thing. And even though we'll fail, that doesn't mean we are bad people. It's just that we are people, period. And as people, we have our fallacies. And as a result, we have to recognize that we're not going to be perfect. And because we're not going to be perfect, we will fail. And when we fail, we shouldn't think that, oh, I can't get up anymore because I failed. I fell down. Really? Who, who, who treats themselves that way? That when they fall, they say, okay, I'm going to stay down because I'm, I'm just too weak to get up. I don't want to get up because maybe I'm going to fall again. But rather, most normal people would want to get up and show that they have strength and stamina to do the right thing, even though they might, they know that they might fail again, they might fall, they might hurt themselves, they might this, they might that, but they'll still get up, they'll still try and clean themselves up to, in order to have a, a, a continuation and a relationship with the Creator Hashem is for us. That's all merit that we too could, could value this to the point that, as King David says, that my sin is always before me, even though he had an atonement. And he knows he had an atonement. But despite that, he recognizes, he recognizes that he had failed in his life. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that he's a bad person. That doesn't mean that he didn't get an atonement. And what it does mean is that he's cognizant of what he has done and how he had hurt Hashem 
or his relationship with Hashem, despite the atonement. And that's really an important lesson for all of us. And we do, we go through life, and we, we blemish our relationship with Hashem in one form or another. But that doesn't, that we can't go on. King David went on and did whatever he had to do to make sure that the first temple was built. Even though he was told that he cannot build it because he has blood on his hand, but nonetheless, he did everything possible. In fact, most of the book of Psalms are, are songs that were used by the Levites in the temple, and he prepared them for the Levites. So we see that that's, that's one thing. And also he prepared all the wood for the temple. So we see even though he couldn't build it physically, but he could do as much as he can on the outside, on the, behind the scenes. And let us all realize that we too, although we might not be a Kohen, we might a priest, we might not be a Levite, we might not be an Israelite even, we might not be somebody that is an anointed one, Mashiach, but nonetheless, we have to do what we can to have a relationship with with Hashem. And that is all Hashem asks of us. Because if Hashem wanted me, Rabbi Zirkin, to be a Kohen, to be a, a priest in the temple, he would have made me to be born to a priest's family. But he didn't. So therefore, I don't have to stop and say to myself, well, you know what? I'm going to try and be a priest. It's not for me. It wasn't meant for me. But what was meant for me is I'm an Israelite. And if I'm an Israelite, I have to do what an Israelite has to do. And I appreciate that that is the extent of my relationship with Hashem. And I don't have to be jealous of the, of the Kohen, the priest, or the Levite, because it's not a competition. It's not a contest. Every person was given the abilities and the disabilities for that matter to be able to do or not do things and it's not a challenge it's not a contest it's not like oh well he got it like not me i didn't get the prize so i'm gonna go home and be sad no take your lot and do with what you were given and create that environment that Hashem can appreciate you and your actions. And with that, ultimately, He can come down here and live among us, which will be by the time when Mashiach comes. Let's all pray and hope that it happens speedily in our day. Amen. Absolutely. Well, very interesting closing words, you know, for someone who was not born Jewish, it does, you know, these are the thoughts that we have sometimes is, you know, we, if Hashem wanted us to be Jewish, maybe he would have made us Jewish. And if that's the case, then what has he given us? Uh, what is our lot and what, what do we do to glorify Hashem in the capacity that we were created? And so I think that definitely gives every non-Jew, you know, this is what we think about. And I will say whether one converts or not, Torah uh, provides for all people. And it's an incredibly rich path, even for a non-Jew to uh, pursue Torah. And, you know, if, if the Torah says that that's akin to being a high priest, that's not a bad lot. Just saying. Right. <laughs> not saying that means that, you know, we don't convert or whatever, but uh, it does does make us think. And Rabbi Zirkin, you know, growing up in the church, and I know David growing up Catholic, um, you know, the whole issue of blood takes on a whole different meaning when... You know, we have sat through since children, you know, so many communions and, you know, where you're told this is a, the body and this is the blood and to take it and eat it, you know, 
it looking back it, it's it's just amazing how opposite the teaching is to Torah for the points you described right you know that's why I pointed it out that way because unfortunately that's what the church teaches and as you've said many times that whatever the Torah abhors the most that's what they live by yeah absolutely but it, it's just amazing if, if anybody wants to know what to do you could almost look because at what they're doing and just do the opposite because it really is opposing to uh, every Torah teaching the principles are a mirror image right. just opposite but I appreciate your time yeah, it's a heavy-duty subject, and I right. think, um, you know, during the holidays, we think about this even more so sometimes, but um, I think it's really well-stated, and, you know, we're, we're a work in progress, each one of us, and seeking, you know, his, his uh, forgiveness and repentance. He, he definitely makes provision for us in so many turns, so many chances and opportunities. For Chuva. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. That's, and that's great mercy that he offers us that ability. I mean, think about that. Which parent will will tolerate a child's disobedience? You know, once, twice, three times. I get it. But beyond that, how much, how much can they tolerate? Yeah. 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 All true. Well, I thank you for your time again. And yes, just to, just to um, correct myself, there are um, <laughs> great converts and there are people that are destined to convert and to connect with their, um, their past in Hashem. And that is conversion for so many. So I don't want, don't want to imply that we're not supposed to convert or all people are not supposed to convert. Right. Right. I know one in particular. One person in particular in our, on our call, his heart's desire is to convert. And I know Hashem will make a way for him. Sharon. Right. So, well, thanks. Right. Everybody. Appreciate your time. So this, and the, does anybody have any questions? Yeah. Um, comments? David? Questions, no, but um, a very interesting topic. And Sonia, I'm, I'm right with you. The, your comments in line with the, you know, the, um, the weekly communion growing up in the church with the body and the blood of Christ. And, you know, Rabbi Zirkin, just your comments about, you know, the sacrifice of in the christian belief the sacrifice of jesus on the cross and how the the blood of christ saves uh everyone you know from that point forward you know that that was that was one that um we actually were were struggling with this is long before this is long a long time ago early in the beginnings of our journey and um we, we had some very well, we had some very interesting conversations with uh, some priests and pastors uh, specific to that topic, and you know, take, you know, sometimes you to, to kind of get to a point, you start at extremes. And I won't bore you with the details of the conversation, but you know, so um, everyone's for, you know the, the um, I think the mission was everyone's forgiven at birth, and there was no need for for anyone to seek seek um, forgiveness or even to to change their way a baptism which yeah. was like as an infant as an infant and so we were struggling with that and you know and throwing up some extreme examples of of historical figures and what about this person who you know historically just was a horrible person uh by by all accounts what about what about them and you know some of the answers were just kind of mind-boggling to us we just couldn't get our we, we had to move on from that point it was well, uh, kind of 
point. Specifically, we asked about, you know, somebody like Hitler, for example. You know, he was uh, probably a Catholic in good standing, let's just say, and, you know, went on to do these things. And we specifically asked the, uh, the priest um, what, what he thought about that. And the answer was, uh, to quote, I'll never forget it, at the end of his life, when he's before God, God would probably say, I respect your choices that's what he that's what his answer was and we never ever went back after that um it was just so disheartening and we couldn't believe that that was really a a mentality of you know two priests at a thriving lutheran congregation we were just so disappointed and you know but it was also a gift to get that kind of brutal honesty because it was clear that we didn't belong it you know there Right, so I'm going to add something which, which you'll, you'll, I think you'll appreciate, and that is that um, um, that one that uh, asked for a priest before he, before he was hung, one of the 11 uh, Nazis. Oh. Heinrich, I think it was. Mm-hmm. The, the, the day before he was going to be hung, he asked for a priest so that he can have a confession. So mm-hmm. if we think about it, we think about it, this person, if I want to call him a person, but this fellow that murdered, has so much blood on his hands, but the day before he, he dies, before he gets hung, he asks for, he does a confession. So he goes to heaven. Think about this. The millions of people that were butchered and murdered on his on his watch that were not given that opportunity to ask for have a confession they're going to hell because they didn't accept jesus well think about that for a moment think about that for a moment disturbing you don't want to i know it's very disturbing it's very disturbing but yeah that that's that's the mentality of the church that this guy he could be a, a murderer and do all kinds of nasty things as long as the day before he dies or the morning of his death he asks for a confession he's going to heaven when all those people that he murdered maimed and did all kinds of nasty things too were never a were never given the opportunity to ask for a confession and two they're going to burn in hell. Well, Does even that make more, any sense? No, but even more so, Rabbi Zirkin, the belief system in so many churches is that if a baby is baptized at birth, then that's it. That that salvation of that soul is sealed at that time, and that person can go through their life and do whatever, and they will always go back to being saved by that baptism. That's just a crazy thought. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And why right. is there even, you know, any, like, what? So, it just doesn't so make why sense. Is there any, so why is there any free choice? What is a free choice all about? Right. It's... And then, yeah. No, sadly, it's a, a predominant you know, belief, it, it only goes so far, and then it sort of goes into the category of, we don't question, we're just grateful, <laughs> you know? Right, right, because we live by grace. That's right. So grateful. Mm. Well, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that we have Torah, and I'm grateful that he has seen fit to give it to us, and show us truth because it, it's still amazing to me that we have ever got to see it. So I, I give all the credit to Hashem and so grateful. And yep. grateful for your time today, as always, Rabbi Zirkin. I have a question. Yeah, Karam. Bereshit says that uh, Abraham uh, knew all the commandments, Bereshit uh, 5.26. So uh, he's uh, Jacob was Israel, so his son was Esau. So Esau loved eating uh, 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 food of his son Esau, 
was hunting. I don't think it was kosher. Did this matter? Okay, very good question. So the question is basically, if the our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, followed the Torah's commandments before they were given to us, so how did how did Isaac allow or accept the food that Esau was preparing when he went hunting? Yeah, that's my question. Which which certainly did not conform to the laws of slaughtering animals. So there are actually various answers to that question. Among them is that although he went, it's interesting if you look at the words that are used in the Torah, what it says is, and I'm going to read it to you on chapter and verse because now I'm stopped, I can look at a, at a book. So what it says in in, uh, in Genesis see I'm looking at um, is it 25 or 26 27 let me see where where yes here it is uh, just give me one more moment so when it says that Isaac loved Esav, he says a reason. You know what it says there? Very interesting language he uses. It says in 25-28, Genesis 25-28, he says, and Isaac loved Esav because he hunted with his mouth. Okay? Very interesting words. Very interesting choice of words. What does it mean he hunted with his mouth? You don't kill animals with your mouth. With your mouth. You kill an animal with a, with a with an arrow, with a bullet, right? Not with your mouth. But it doesn't say anything about death. He hunted with his mouth. What does that mean? A good hunter, what he does is he knows with his mouth how to whistle to the animal to get the animal to come to you. And then he can kill him. So even though it, it, in, in the onset it looks like he was hunter, he was a hunter, and hunters use bows and arrows and bullets, that's not what it says here about Asaph. It's a subtlety, but it, every word in the Torah is precious, and every word has a meaning. It's not just random. So he was hunting in a kosher way, is it? Yes. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Thank you for that. Sure, it's a pleasure. And I want to say this. I want to add this. You know, when you say that that our Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob followed the laws of the Torah before they were given, one might ask, how did they know what to do? The Torah wasn't given yet. But the answer is just as important. What? Is it in their heart? So the answer is very interesting as well. And that is that because they were so devoted to Hashem, they were so connected to Hashem, they didn't need Hashem to tell them what to do. Just like when you love your spouse, you don't need your spouse to tell you, please prepare this for me, please prepare that for me. You instinctively know what that person wants and how that person wants it. And that's what you go about doing. And this is how they performed the mitzvahs. That's how they followed all the mitzvahs before they were given. Because that's how connected they were with Hashem. We, on the other hand, we are so distant from Hashem. We need Hashem to tell us what to do. And you know what? Despite that, we don't listen. Some of us. Okay? 
but they were sort of the extreme opposite. Interesting. Thank you for that. Yeah, sure. Any other questions before we go? Ina, do you have any questions? No? All right. Well, this is this is great. Thanks so much. Um, sure. Have a have a great wedding tonight, and thanks. And hopefully, we see you, God willing, next week. God willing. All right. Okay. Well. Bye. Have a great week, everybody. <laughs> you all. Goodbye. Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov. Bye. Bye.